while they're coming down, if you guys want to go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians and hold your place in chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter 1, that'll be our main text for this morning. But if you'll hold your place there in Ephesians chapter 1 and, and just thumb back real quick to the book of Matthew, I want to share something with you real quick. <clears throat> Last week, Brother Paul was preaching and I, I forgot to give us a together reading, if you will. We, we read John a couple of times and then we went to to first John and we read it of course was five days I figure most of you probably went ahead on that sixth and seventh day and read second John and third John so it's a one chapter each give you seven days but last week I forgot to to put one together and at the end I didn't want to come back up because Paul had presented such a great message so I just chose to leave it alone and that's okay because it gave some of you maybe an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit direct you give you some direction on what to read for yourself, but I had several, several people have texted me or asked this week, and man, I enjoyed us having something to read together, and it's doing something together, and it helps us do that prayer time together, and 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 keep that that six week list that we had. So what we want to do is going to read the book of Matthew together. It'll take us four weeks. We'll read a chapter a day, twenty eight chapters. But I want to go ahead and give you a little something real quick before I get in the morning message so that you understand some things that sometimes seem maybe not so important in the Word of God. Sometimes we read stuff and you're like, I don't know why I'm spending time to read it. And that's okay. Everybody, you know what I'm talking about there? I don't understand it. Or I don't understand the purpose in it. I don't really know why we're doing that. Well, when you start out in Matthew, let me tell you what you're going to start out with. You're going to start out with the genealogies of Jesus Christ. And you're going to start out with this long line of people. And, and here's one of the reasons it's important. Because you're going to read about some people. This is the lineage of the family of God. This is the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Holy Lamb of God, the only begotten Son, the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb. But here's what you're going to read in the lineage of His family. You're going to meet a harlot. You're going to meet an adulterer. You're going to meet a liar. You're going to meet a murderer. And this is all in the lineage. This is the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why I believe it's there? To remind you and I as imperfect people that God used imperfect people to carry out God's perfect plan. And God hasn't changed. God continues to use imperfect people to carry out God's perfect plan, which is a perfect salvation with a perfect home waiting. Anybody ready for that? But, but I want to show you something else just real quick that, that matters. And I, I know a lot of you don't study the numbers of the Bible. That's okay. I love the numbers of the Bible. I love to study the number, numbers of the Bible and what they mean. But if, if you turn there in Matthew chapter 1, down in verse number 17, it says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. Then it says, From David until the carrying away of Babylon. Are 14 generations. And from the carrying away of Babylon unto Christ is 14 generations. The Word of God doesn't put anything in just to be there. The Word of God puts everything in with a specific intended purpose. And even in that one statement, let me tell you the importance of it. The number 14 in the Word of God always represents deliverance. And the number 3 always represents the resurrection. Look at who the third 14 is. Jesus Christ is the resurrected Lamb of God. He is our deliverance. So in everything that you read, there's a purpose, there's a plan, there's something there. So if you want to read together, we'll continue to read as a church. I will start tomorrow morning back at Matthew chapter 1, if we can just read all that together. And, and it'll take us four weeks to go through the book of Matthew. Everybody ready? Yeah. Awesome. So this morning, have you turned in your Bible to the book of Ephesians? There in chapter 1. Here in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, as is along with the entire Word of God, he is, reading, he, is reading, he is written to those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to start this morning and read in verse number 19. It says, What is the exceeding greatness of His power to us, Word, who believe according to the working of His mighty power? Do you believe in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the power of the only begotten Son of God? Then he says, I'm writing this to you. 
I'm talking to you. I have something to say to you according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things. If I could pause just a minute. What that says there is that everything in the universe and beyond is under his control. Everything is in his power. Listen, I need you to understand. Everything in all of the galaxies, everything in all of the universe, everything in all of the world is in God's hands to use to take care of you. God has all things under his subjection to take care of you, his children, and us, his church. He says that all things are under his feet. There is nothing can come against the church and destroy it. It's under the power of God. It says in verse 23, which is the body of the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Thank you, God, for the word were. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we also all, we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. We're all sinners. But if you're in here this morning as a Christian, you're a sinner redeemed of the Lamb of God. We have been bought with a price. Our sin doesn't matter anymore. It's under the blood, separated as far as the east is from the west. It, it says that, that we were, that, that was you and I. We were disobedient, unthankful, unholy, truce breakers, liars. He says that was us. That is past tense. But then it gets into a present tense. Can I tell you, my two favorite words in all of the Bible, but God. It doesn't matter how bad your situation is. It doesn't matter how bad your finances are. It doesn't matter how bad your marriage is. It doesn't matter how far away your prodigal children have strayed. It doesn't matter how bad a situation a family's in. It doesn't matter what the turmoil in life is. It doesn't matter how deep your depression is. It doesn't matter how bad your anxiety is. But God changes everything. He took where we were sinners, we were lost, we were on our way to hell, but God made a difference. Who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. That is the source of our redemption. For by grace you are saved. That is the present tense of where we are now. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Doesn't say you're going to be seated in heavenly places. It doesn't say one day you're going to be in heaven in the mind of God. You're already there. God already sees us seated together in heavenly places as the church, the body of Christ, the redeemed in Jesus Christ in ages to come. Listen, listen, I'm not even preaching on this verse, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to look at it. In ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. He said, I haven't even begun to show you kindness. How many people have been blessed by God? God done something for you? Not just saved your soul. God done something for your home. God reached down and did something in your children. God's done something in your life. You know what he said right there? I ain't done anything for you yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. God says, I got some stuff in store for you that you can't even imagine how good it's going to be. Maybe I should have preached on that verse. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. Thank you, Jesus. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I want to take just a few minutes this morning. I want to look at this subject. What is church? God, thank you so much for the church. 
Thank you, God, that we are the church, the redeemed of your precious son, the purchased of an incredible price. Children of God, names written in the Lamb's book of life with the seal of God on our foreheads, never to be lost, to spend all of eternity with you. What a promise, God. What a hope. What a security. Thank you, God. Thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit that you've sent, the comforter that lives in us, the comforter that walks with us through storms, holds us through trials, stands us up when we can't stand, makes a way out of no way in life. God, thank you so much, God, for this precious book. I pray you'd help us this morning. Would you open every heart and every mind in this place, God? Would you teach each one of us as only you can do, something different all from the same message? We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. May we please you in all that we do. In the precious name of Jesus, all of God's people said, amen. Anybody ever been to a, a mall, and maybe it's a, a mall you've never been to before, a mall you don't care much about going to, which for me, that would be any mall. All the men said, amen. <laughs> maybe down, you know, you go to Destin, you got those huge outlet malls, whatever, and you got the Bass Pro Shops, glory to God, you got something for us to go hang out and look at while the women get to go spend money. And, and you get there, and there's stores you want to go to, but you don't know where they are. I mean, that store is the reason you came to the mall, right? And you know it's in that mall. You just don't know where. When you get, you know, they have those big three-sided maps, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're a man, you know what I'm talking about. When we get that's the first place, we got to go to find out where it's at. But there's two things on that map that are of extreme importance if you want to find the reason that you came there. Number one is it's going to tell you where that store is. You fall under that subcategory, and you find it's got a number, and, and you look right there, and you can see exactly where that store is within that mall, within that, that surrounding of buildings. But there's another place there that is of equal importance, and if you don't have that one, then that one does you no good. It's usually marked by a large red X, and it says, you are here. It doesn't do you any good to know where you need to go unless you know where you are. But because you, you, don't, you don't even know which way to start unless you know where you are. Well, that's kind of where the, the church is. A lot of churches, they seem to not know where they're going. They seem to gather and have services. that, that They come in and get together, but there, it, there's no real direction. There's no sense of urgency. There's nothing that's reaching out and reaching the lost. There's nothing that's making a difference in the lives of people. So they're not really sure where they're going in a large part is because I believe a lot really don't know exactly where they are. Well, just bear with me. We'll get there. I, I want to take just a few minutes, and, and I, want, I want to look this morning at, at the church. There in our text, Ephesians chapter 1, in verse number, three, verse number 23, it says, Which is his body? The fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church is the mystical body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said elsewhere there in his letter to the church at Ephesus that we are the whole body. We, we are fitly joined together. Just like the human body is one body made up of many different parts. But it's all different parts working together. That's what the church is. And we're all part of that body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul said in verse number 12. That the body is one and hath many members. And all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Whether we be bond or free. And have all been made all to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member but many. So we all know that the church is the body of Jesus Christ. We are to be the hands and the feet of ministry. We are to be the examples before a lost world. As the church, as the body of believers, we are all something. We've looked at the body before. Some may be a little fingernail, but that's okay. Try living life without it. As we use my brother's example, he said the elbow doesn't seem important. Try eating a bowl of cereal without it. Every single part of the body matters, and every single part of the body of Christ matters. So we are the body of Christ. Now, the book of Revelation tells us that we are the bride of Christ. It tells us that, that we are the purchased family of God. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Jesus. We are the redeemed of the Lamb of God. We are the reason he climbed up on Calvary's cross. 
<clears throat> we are the reason that he took the beating that he took. We are the reason that he shed his blood. We're the reason that he came in the first place. While we were yet sinners, not because we're any good, not because we're holy, not because we're righteous, not because we're worth the salt that goes in our bread, but because he loved us in spite of us. And he came down while we were yet sinners, climbed up on that old rugged cross for you and I. John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Chapter 9 of the book of John, Jesus said in verse number 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You ready for this one? But in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching, and he said, Ye are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. If we're doing anything for any other reason, we missed it. If you're doing anything for personal glory, self-gratification, pat on the back or hands of men, you have your reward. God said that everything we do that men can see is for the glory of your Father which is in heaven. But just prior to that, in, in verse number 13, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. So here's the question. Has today's church lost its savor? Is the church making a difference in the world? If the church is the body of Christ, and we are the members of the body, then everything that we do should imitate Christ. As Christians, we how many of you say, I'm a Christian? Raise your hand if I am a Christian. Then by your own testimony, by your very name, first identified as Christians, that means that we are to be Christ-like. If you raise your hand that you're a Christian, then it is our job to identify ourselves to live our lives as Jesus Christ. Jesus said that the reason he came was to do the will of the Father. Now, if we are Christ-like and we are the body of Christ to live Christ-like, then our job is to do the will of God, which is written in the Word of God, because the Word of God is the revealed will of God. There's a lot of things we don't have to pray about. God's already answered it. There's a lot of things we don't have to seek. I don't have to know whether or not to live, try to live holy tomorrow. The book's already told me to do it. I, I don't have to know whether or not to treat people right. The book's already told me to do it. I don't have to know whether or not to be a good husband and a good father. The book's already told me to do it. I don't know whether or not I ought to get up and go to church on Sunday. The book's already told me to do it. I understand there's a lot of things I don't have to pray about because I have the revealed will of God written in a love letter and personally handed to me. Now, here's what the church is not. The church is not about agenda. Sunday morning church is not a checklist item. If it's a checklist item, you're missing the point. There's no merits from just being here. It's not earning credits. Children of God come to church because we love the fellowship of the brethren. We love our Lord and we want to come worship. So, so it's not about, not about agenda. It's not about tradition. It's not about programs. Church is about people. Church is about the redeemed. It is people worshiping God and serving God as one. And here's the deal. Telling others about God. Somebody had to tell us. Somebody told us about Jesus. Somebody told us about the blood. Somebody told us about salvation. We made a choice. We are children of God, Christians by our own testimony. Our job is to tell somebody else. The truth is. And, and I, I, can, I can tell you, I can, I can see Faith Baptist Church in this definition. I can see it all over. We, we've, been, we've been this. We, we've been this. How, how many agree that this has been a very busy church? There, there's a lot of things go on here. If you don't know that, then maybe you're not involved in a lot of it. But there's a lot of busy. There's a lot of stuff that, that goes on. But many times, a church can get so caught up in programs that it becomes too busy focused on the programs and forget who the programs are about. 
One of the things God had to teach me in doing missions work overseas, and I did many of them, was to learn that you get so busy in the work of the Lord that you can forget about the Lord of the work. You can get too busy trying to do programs, trying to do stuff that you don't take time to pray. You don't take time to worship. You don't take time to read. And to be honest, we become fit for nothing. Paul Washer, he said one of the greatest attacks of the enemy is to make you busy, to make you hurried, to make you noisy, to make you distracted, to fill the people of God. And you understand who this is written to? To fill the people of God and the church of God with so much noise and activity that there is no room for prayer. There is no room for being alone with God. There is no room for silence. And there is no room for meditation. Kind of helps me understand why God gave me a message a couple of weeks ago that I still haven't got right because I'm still too busy. There still ain't enough hours in the day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God gave us a message. We need to take time to rest. Not sit on our royal backside and do nothing. Sit on our royal backside and spend time with God. Rest our body, but spend time in prayer. Spend time reading the book. Spend time in meditation. Spend time seeking God's will for my life. So he's talking to the church. I referred to the map at the mall for a reason. Because unless we know where we are, we don't really know how to get to where we're going, right? The church is declining more today in America than it has in the history of this nation. The, the truth is we, we can't identify solutions until we identify some of the problems. So, so here's the simple truth. The church is made up of people. We're all whosoever's, right? Thank God that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because we're nothing but a bunch of whosoever's. But we all bring our own problems. We all bring our own circumstances, our own situations, and that's all good. That's what we ought to bring into the, house, into the house of God, the hospital, the place for the broken. But we also bring our own agendas. We also bring our own likes and dislikes. We all bring our, our own personal taste in. And, and the, the truth is when it comes to the church, none of that matters. Or at least it shouldn't because it's not about us. Church is about us making everything about him. And anything else is a misdirection of the church. I read a quote. This is, it described the church. It didn't give the name of who said it. This is what the quote says. The church should be a foretaste of Christ's reign. Be a visible presentation to creation of how it looks to live under Christ's lordship. Simply put, the church ought to be a picture of how it looks to live in heaven. Rejoicing, praising God, serving God, living for God. Praising the Lamb of God. Thankful for what we have. We, we ought to be a visible presentation to all of creation on how it looks to live under Christ's Lordship. Let's take a look at what some surveys today have to say about where the church is right now. It says many people are leaving churches today. Many are hopping from one church to another looking for something. And many are just leaving church altogether because it said what should be worship became more of a production. This is, this is what people had to say in the surveys. <clears throat> the music became an over-practiced concert rather than a moving of the Holy Spirit. Tags to songs became a practiced tag. Not something led by the Holy Spirit because God was moving in a place. It was just predetermined that we're going to add a tag to this song and we're just going to sing on and on and on. The preaching became more of a platform for a number of different things. Sermons became more like pep talks. They became more like classes presented by motivational speakers than men of God presenting a clear presentation of the Word of God. Many people said that they walked out of church feeling no closer to God than they were when they walked in. They didn't feel led to worship by the music, and they didn't feel challenged by the message. Now, here's a simple fact. When church becomes about entertainment, it has lost its focus. When the church becomes about pleasing people, it has lost its focus. When the church becomes about anything except the power and the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the preaching of this book, it has completely lost its focus. A recent Gallup poll indicates that for the first time since polls began in 1930 that less than 50% of Americans describe themselves 
as affiliated with the church. You don't know why the world's in the shape it's in around us? You don't know why our nation is in the problem that it's in? For the first time since polls began, less than 50%, only 30% of those surveyed say that they attend church regularly. One-third of our surroundings attend church regularly. And we want to know what's wrong with our country. 50% of them say that they attend church seldom or never. A survey conducted by the Burma Group, it says that 1,500 pastors, y'all ready? 1,500 pastors are leaving the ministry every month. Month. 18,000 a year leaving the ministry. Worse than that, on the survey on the checklist, more than half of them checked that they had considered leaving the ministry. The poll reports that pastors are disheartened because of the loss of membership, disheartened, feeling like they're not making a difference, and worst of all, disheartened because they feel like they have let God down. It says the bottom line is pastors are humans. They're pouring themselves into something, seeing it consistently decline. It takes a toll on them personally. And if a pastor becomes discouraged or disheartened, there's no way that he can hide it. And it begins to flow into the church. This one right here is really disturbing. I don't, I don't know how they make it. It says 80% of ministers' wives surveyed. Can I just stop right there before I read the rest of that and plug that and tell you this ain't my wife? This ain't my wife. I'm like, my, my wife is right beside me. Thick and thin, can to can't. We, 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 she was 15 years old. I was 17. We've been together our whole life. She's been with me when she should have walked out. She's been with me through all the things that I chase and all the bass fishing and all the archery and all, all the seeking worldly stuff. She, she's been there. She was there when God called us out of a very prosperous business, making very good money and put us right here. And she's still there right beside me. And I want you to know, I don't know how men do it without it. This is what the survey said. 80% of ministers' wives' surveys said that they wished their husbands would leave the ministry because of the toll that it takes on their family. No wonder 1,500 of them are quitting. I, I don't know how you can do it without your complete or your helpmate standing beside you. On average, the latest polls show that as many as 150 churches close every week. It's a big deal. That's 1.4% of the churches because there's over 350,000 churches in America. So what is 150 a week? I can tell you what it is. It's 1.4%. Like the 1.2% is all that dies of COVID, right? How important is that 1.2% to those of you that lost a family member to COVID? How important is the 1.2% of those that died? How important do you think it is to the, to, the, to the families, the congregations of the 1.4% that don't have that church anymore? That, that feel like everything around them failed and it's no longer there. The millennials. The millennials, you guys are growing up, man. Y'all from your early to mid-20s, almost 40 years old. The millennials are officially the, the largest group of Americans ever in, in our society, the largest generation. But it says that for the most part, they have vanished from the church. So can I just tell you thank you to you millennials that are here. Thank you for all these children you brought. Thank you for being an exception to the rule. Thank you for not being the ones that have vanished. Thank you for being dedicated to the house of God. Thank you that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because in your generation, you are a minority. Statistics show that the greatest majority of the millennials have vanished. Here's some of the reasons given by those that were polled as to why they left the church. The church was too worried about tradition. That's the way we've always done it. That's the way we're going to do it. They had to stay in the old red hymn book. They had to dress a certain code. It was always about the way it was. Can, can, can I just tell you, you hear it all the time. I even hear it about faith. I just wish things were the way they were. Can I tell you, I don't. Number one, I, I know that everything wasn't quite as rosy on the top as it might have seemed like. It's pretty easy to just sit out there and not know a lot about what's going on. But, but here's the real deal. It doesn't matter to me how successful yesterday was, how much God used faith yesterday, how, how much glory God got out of yesterday. It has nothing to do with today. We're not yesterday's church. We're today's church. 
We're, we're not, we can't ride on the glory that God may have done at Faith Baptist Church a year ago, 10 years ago. What are we doing for God today? God, God said, for such a time as this. So what I want to know is, God, what do you want us to be right now? How can we change our hometown with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can we shut commotions down, get that filth off Highway 27, get that kind of garbage out of this town? It doesn't belong for God honoring. Yes, I said it. Get that garbage off Highway 27 coming into our town. I want God to help us to be the church today. Yesterday doesn't matter. Well, that was all free. The, the other is just the opposite, but this just tells you a lot about people. The reason they left the church is because the church was too conforming to the latest trends. Everything had to be about the latest trends. You had to dress the latest way. The music had to be the latest trends. So, so it's just the opposite of the church. Well, this one had to be too traditional. So this one had, had, to, had to try to match things too much, which kind of goes with the third reason. They said that they were too focused on culture. Churches putting out questionnaires for the congregation on what would they like more of or what would they like to hear messages on. Can I just tell you, don't sit around and wait on that survey. When, when, when a man starts asking the church what they want to hear instead of asking God what do you want them to hear, he's no longer a pastor. He's a hand puppet. He, he's in it for a paycheck. He's not in it to see souls saved. He's not in it to see everybody in the congregation grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ and live a closer walk with the Lord. Number four, it says that the church became too involved in politics. I spoke with a man about a month ago, and he was telling me they were looking for a church. They, they live quite a ways from here, but he was talking about their search for a church, and they had visited some. He was telling me about, he was, he was asking about some because, you know, we're people and everything you go, well, I love the preacher, but I didn't like the music. I like the music, but I didn't like the preacher. I mean, you know what I mean? There's always something, right? And so what I try to tell him is, look, if you didn't like everything, it's not the place God's got for you. To be honest, the, the Holy Spirit will show you where he wants you to be. Just, just keep seeking God's direction, God's will, and let God plug in where he wants you to be. But, but I ask him, what happened to your church? You've been there a long time. Why'd you leave? He said, man, they just got too political. They just, they just got too much into politics. Can, can I just tell you right there, there is a place for politics, but this pulpit isn't it. I believe that Christians need to be involved in politics if you are led of the Holy Spirit to do so. Just, just like a Sunday school teacher, just like these ministry leaders, just like a pastor. I believe if God leads you, and, I mean, we need godly people making decisions for this country. Somebody say Amen. We need some Christians in the White House. We need some Christians as senators and representatives and governors. We need some Christian leadership. And, and I believe that Christians belong in politics if they're called of God to be there. But this pulpit is not a political platform. This is not the place to try and, and change the government or focus on the government or put any thoughts about the government. This is a place to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and for us as children of God to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Jesus, he didn't try to change government. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, render therefore unto Caesar the things that are whose? Caesar's. Unto God, therefore, the things that are God's. Paul went into Rome. He didn't go to Rome to change Roman rule, Roman authority, Roman leadership. Paul went into Rome and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Paul went into Ephesus, the, the, the subject of our morning text here, when Paul went into Galatia, when Paul went into Philippi, all those are cities under Roman rule. Paul never went in and tried to change the politics. Paul didn't go in and try to change their government. He didn't try to change the establishment of things from the top, from the headship of Rome. Paul went in and he preached Jesus Christ. Our job is to preach Jesus Christ. That is the responsibility of the church. You as a member of the church, everybody is what? different parts of the body. If you're that part of the body that is called into politics, be what God calls you to be. And stand up. Please, stand up for the Word of God. Don't waver. Don't bend. Don't give for a vote. The Word of God is unchanging. Be unchanging. If God calls you into politics, then do politics. But do everything for the glory of God. Jim Simbler. He says the liberal Democrats are not the light of the world. The conservative Republicans are not the salt of the earth. Christians are. And the church is to be about Christ. 
So, so that, that's a glimpse of where we are. That's a glimpse of the, the church as a whole in our nation. That's some surveys to give us an idea of where the overall church is at and why we see participation down, membership down in a lot of them. But where do we need to go? Where do we need to be? Well, it goes back to the quote. The church should be a foretaste of Christ's reign, a visible presentation to creation of how it looks to live under Christ's lordship. Simply put, we, each one of us, are to be examples of Jesus Christ in everything we do. Jesus said repeatedly, I came to do the will of the Father. That means as Christians, our goal should be to do the will of the Father. The word of God is written to the church. When Paul wrote his first letter to the church at Corinth, he said in chapter 15 and verse number 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, that's who he's talking to, all the brothers and sisters in Christ, all of the redeemed, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's not written to leaders. That's, that's not written to those missionaries. That's not written to pastors. That's written to you and I. That's written to us, Christians, the, the body of the church. When James wrote in chapter 1, verse 25, he said, Whoso looketh unto the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. If any among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, can, can I just... I can't add to the word of God or take away because I already told him if I add to the word of God, he'll add the plagues of the book. And if I take away, my part of the book be taken away. So I'm not going to add to it. But can I just make kind of a mental note that the tongue in today's world extends to the thumb? Most of the day's damage, most people don't have the brass to say with their lips what they want to say anyway. So they hide behind that little push button device. And they say things that are unseemly, unworthy. This is what James says. If any among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his Facebook page. If any of you seem to be religious and bridleth not his, 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 his text messages. If, if any of you seem to be religious and, and bridleth not his, his Twitter page. If any seem to be religious and bridleth not his attitude at home when he thinks nobody else sees. If anybody seems to be religious. And bridleth not his tongue, his attitude, his actions, everything about him. But he deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. Pure religion. Undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. He didn't write that to pastors. He didn't write that to missionaries. He wrote that to all of us. He wrote that to the church. He said that, that is our job. That is it undefiled. Ephesians, there in our text, verse number 19 of chapter 1, it says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? That is the entire body of Christ. Every single individual that claims to be a Christian. The truth is we all have responsibilities as Christians. Every one of us have a responsibility to God. We have been purchased. I, I don't have time to get into to slave because that sounds awfully bad, but it is an honor to be a slave of God. It is an honor to be a servant of a holy, righteous God. It is an honor to belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords and be at his command. It is an honor to be his purchased property. But as his purchased property, I am to be at his command. I am to live what he says the way he says live it. And that this book is written to all of us. We all have responsibilities as Christians. Yes, I have a responsibility as a pastor. A yes, I have a responsibility to you, not just to God. I have all responsibility to God, but so do you. I have a responsibility to you to pray every week. I have a responsibility to you to study. I have a responsibility to you to seek what God would have said to his people and not just my foolish meanderings because my thoughts are nothing but stupidity and ignorance. I have a responsibility to come into here prepared to present the gospel having prayed and ask God to forgive me of all of my stupidity, all of my sin, all of my filth, every evil deed, every evil thought, every evil imagination of the heart, everything that I thought about, every bad driver on my way here this morning. 
I, it's up to me before I come up here to try to have myself cleansed in the blood of Jesus. I have a responsibility, but so do you. You have a responsibility to be prepared to come to the house of God, to bring your family to the house of God, to come in here and to worship. It doesn't matter how much somebody up here can prepare to sing or prepare to preach if you're not prepared to receive it. People come in and say, well, I didn't get anything out of it. What would you come looking for? Because if you didn't come looking for something, you're not going to get anything. So we ought to be prayed up, prepared up. We need to be just as prayed up to receive as you are to preach. We ought to be just as prayed up to come in and hear. You can't come. Listen, I'm sorry, but it's the truth. We spend more time in music trying to prime the pump. Most of the music isn't about worship because we come in here, we ain't ready to worship yet. We come in here dragging all the dirt, all the filth, all the trouble, all our problems, all our trials. We stood in the parking lot and talked about half of them. Came in the foyer talked about the rest of them. Came in and sat down here talking about the rest of them. But then we saw somebody to talk about, and that took our attention away. And we began to talk about them. And we wonder why the music starts out and it ain't exactly worship. Because we ain't ready. We, we need to come in prayed up, studied up, read up, prepared to worship. And then music can be about worship. But most of the time, these guys are just trying to prime the pump to get us ready to worship. Because we brought so much stuff. Well, that's all free, too. I'm going to wind up preaching before I get out of here. I'm going to get myself in trouble. The Word of God is not written to pastors. We have the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy and Titus. But that's not written to pastors. That's written about pastors. That tells the qualifications of what the bishops are. The Word of God is written to men. It's written to men, number one, that we might know the truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That we might know about Adam and Eve. That we might know about sin. That we might know about separation. That we might know about separation from God. And that man's soul was condemned to hell. But Jesus Christ came in and made a way. The word of God is written to men. That we might know the truth. That we might make a choice. You're going to heaven because you chose Jesus Christ. People are going to hell because they chose to reject him. But the word of God is also written to us as, as Christians. As children of God. That, that we might learn about Jesus. That we might learn about his goodness. We might learn more about him. But so that we might live it and let others see it. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse number 17. It says that the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Can I tell you, that's not a preacher. That's not a pastor. That's not what the man of God right there does. It has nothing to do with pastor. That man of God right there comes from a word that means humanity. It talks about all people. So what that's telling me is that every man and every woman who is a child of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the message is, what is church? Church isn't the building. Half of our ministry work overseas was done at churches that didn't have a building. Half of it was just trying to put up a tin roof so they'd have a place to get under out of the rain because they'd been meeting up under trees. So the church it isn't about building. Church, church isn't about formality. Church isn't about a sign out front. We're Faith Baptist Church. We're, we're so-and-so Baptist Church that, that, that identifies a, a certain body. So, somewhere, somewhere along the way, the mentality of church has become that church is a once-a-week gathering. For a handful of us that are so weak we can't make it seven days, we have to come on Wednesdays. And, and, and it's a weekly gathering. It's kind of like revival has brought about this tag that a revival is a time that we set on the calendar. We have a revival set for, for February and speakers and things to bring in. Can I tell you, that's not a revival. A revival is when the people of God catch on fire for the things of God. A revival is when the people of God have a heart to serve God. A revival is when we get excited, when we're excited about coming to the house of God, when we're excited about learning about God, when we're excited about going out and living a Christian life in a, in a non-Christian world, that people might see Christ. That, that's revival. Church, church is the people of God. Church is, is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be the hands and the feet to reach out and to spread the gospel so that others might see and might know what we have and want it and that we can tell them how to get it, right? 
churches, the, the members of humanity that, that have been saved. But now we have the responsibility to tell the law. To simply put, church is you and I. How good a church is, is how strong you and I are. How, how good a church is, is how strong our relationship with God is. How good our daily reading is. How good our daily prayer is. If the music is not about worship and the message isn't about Christ. If the, if the message doesn't teach you. If the message doesn't challenge us. If it doesn't encourage us to, to grow in our walk with the Lord. Then the message can't be from God. Because everything that God gives us is to challenge us to, to grow closer to him. I, I want more. I, I'm not in this by myself. I say I want, this isn't a personal statement, and to prove it's not a personal statement, I'll have you raise your hand. I want more than a one every seven day gathering when I come here. I want to feel the power of God. I want to feel the moving of the Holy Spirit. I want to leave here having been changed. I want to leave here having been convicted. I want to leave here having felt like God was glorified, God was honored. But I walk out of here prepared to seek him and to serve him more. All it takes is about one good episode on Monday morning, and I'm knocked right back down. But at least I had Sunday to get me to there, right? At least I had something to charge my batteries to get me back out before I went back out into the world. I was looking at the surveys there. I was thinking, I have no doubt that many of the people who left a church for those reasons that they gave they, they may have been correct in their assessments. I, I don't have any doubt that we're living in the day of the Laodicean church, the seventh church. I, I don't have any doubt that there are some, some, some lukewarm churches out there. But I, I, I believe a lot of the people, they left because it was just an excuse. I don't believe it was on the church as a whole because there's other people that are still worshiping. I believe for a lot of them it was just an excuse just, just, just to get out. See, a lot of times the problem I'm just saying because of what you hear, because of what you hear and what you read in the surveys. They identify all these problems. You know what that means is it didn't suit me. What that tells me is that somebody was self-seeking and not God-serving. If we're God-serving and we're in the place where we're supposed to be, then God can work through that. God can minister to us. God can minister through us. Band, you guys come on up. Y'all come on. Let's, how, how many of you, I know some people are bashful, you don't like to raise your hand, but you need to get over that for a minute. You, you, you need, at least, at least get a little something up. I ain't got to see it, but God does, okay? This is an important question for you. You need to get over all your shy and all your bashful, somebody might see me. How many of you want to serve God with your life? How many of you want to grow closer to God each day? How many of you want to come to church and feel the power of God? The presence of God. The moving of the Holy Spirit of God. We want to come in here and see souls saved. Yes, and everything that we do. If there's a lost person in here, glory to God. Save a soul. But we want to see lives changed. I don't just want me to grow closer to God. I want us to grow closer to God. I want every single day that everybody in here is ministered, discipled, to grow closer so that the kingdom is added to because people see Christ in us and Christ through us and souls are saved through it. So if we all want that, everybody that raised your hand, if we all want that, the easiest way to do it is to approach the throne room and ask for it. Jesus said you have not because you ask not. I'm just foolish enough to believe in the power of God to change things. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, I want to have just a childlike faith enough to just ask God. You ever listen to a child pray? They ought to get everything they ask for when they talk to God. My goodness, it's such sincerity, such humility. Boy, what would I give to have that? Just such a humbleness in their prayer. And they just ask God to do it because, well, I mean, y'all, my mom and dad, you taught me. We, we just pray. So they, they don't know no better, right? You just pray and. God just hears. Yeah, we, we taught them that, but somehow along the way we lost what we taught them. 
We think it has to be some special prayer, something different. It has to be some dignified, something holy. No, what it has to be is somebody sharing their heart with God and just real. I'm, I'm going to ask if you would stand. You don't have to come to the altar. Some people aren't comfortable with the altar. So I'll just tell you, if you don't mind, if you like coming to the altar and, and you're able to do so and then want to do so, I just I want us to pray to God, help us be that church. But, but can I tell you, for me to pray that, it has to start right here. My, my prayer to help us be that church, honestly, has nothing to do with all of you. My prayer to help us be the church starts right here with me. I, it's got to be church in me. It's got to matter to me. And if it matters to me, then all of you will be the second most, third most important thing in my life. God's got to be first. And I'm sorry, my wife's got to come before you. But all of you will matter to me more than any other group of people on this planet. Because we put God first and it's Christ in us. So I want to ask if you would, as many as will, as many as can, if you just come to the altar. And let's just, God, help us start with me. But help us be the church. Help us to be what you'd have us to be. For those of you that want to stay where you are, I promise you there's nothing wrong with that. You pray right where you are. If you need to sit, that's okay. Sit, be seated and pray. It's okay. It's, it's the position of the heart, not the body. <clears throat> but I do want to ask you while you're praying, while everybody's praying, do you know that you know that you know that you're a Christian? The absolute first and most important thing in this life is our relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you must have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I read a quote from Billy Sunday. It said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. It's more than coming to church. It's surrendering your heart to Jesus Christ. He went on in a quote to say this. He said, why would you continue to serve the devil when hell is the highest reward he has to offer you? Why would you continue to serve the devil when he has nothing but your demise in store for you? Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But he said that in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's for every child of God. That's for every redeemed of the Lamb. That's for every Christian. Have you trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you haven't, you can do it this morning. You can be out there on YouTube. You can be on live stream. No matter where you are, it doesn't even have to be Sunday morning. If you're hearing these words, this is the truth. You can say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. For all the sin that comes short of the glory of God, and we're all sinners. But I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin, shed his blood for my sins to be erased. I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave to give me eternal life. And I'm asking you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, to forgive me of my sins and save my soul in Jesus' name. In Jesus Christ's blood is sufficient. It is the only sufficiency to save your soul. 